This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select based on what I feel like covering. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 191st episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we're looking at Nightwing 128 from DC Comics cover dated March 2007. But first, a little feedback. Billy D from The Brave and the Bob started by wishing me a nice spring break, which was when last episode was recorded and released. He also decided to be a smart aleck by telling me not to get sunburned when he knew darned well that it snowed both the Monday and Tuesday of my spring break week. Finally, he turned to the actual issue in question, the Maze Agency, I think our mutual buddy Chris Sheehan covered an issue or two of this title. Before that, I don't remember ever hearing or seeing anything about this. Sounds interesting, so we'll have to keep an eye out at shows and shops. Thanks, as always, for the shout-out and the content. Thank you, Billy. Yes, I think that was about a year, year and a half ago, maybe, Mr. Sheehan and our buddy Ed Moore teamed up to cover the first issue of May's agency. I know their intent was to look at more issues, and I certainly hope that they get back to that at some point, but sometimes life happens, even to podcasters. Sean Urbanski said he was looking forward to listening, and then a few days later he followed up. Thanks for introducing me to the May's agency. Went and grabbed an issue, and it was lots of fun. Great read, Going to head back to my LCS to scoop up all the issues I can. Do it, Sean. I think you will enjoy the journey. Feel free to keep us posted. And from across the pond, Sir, Sir Martin of Grey, hello. Well, that was a treat. I've only ever read one Maze Agency issue, but enjoyed it a lot and would love to read more. Sadly, the collected edition is going for a lot more than a quarter. Then again, maybe I deserve a treat. No, Martin, you definitely deserve a treat. I'm in awe of folk like Mike W. Barr who can construct a fair play mystery. The mechanics would blow my minuscule mind. And Adam Hughes, even at this early stage, his storytelling was great. Imagine how splendid his storytelling might be had he not pretty much given up on sequential work to concentrate on covers and the like. As for his people, they were edible, especially Gabe in that suit. All right, Mart, I will take your word on that. And Professor Allen, you know me so well, I do like that logo. It's well thought out and nicely executed. Amazing, really. Best. Martin. Yes, I figured that either you or Ange would use amazing in a comment. And you were first, Mart, so you win the pun prize. And Clinton, 
from Coffee and Comics also got in on the bad joke act, saying he was glad it wasn't the M-A-I-Z-E, Maze Agency. Talk about a corny book. Oh, Clinton, 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 I told you, buddy, stop taking your clues for jokes from Little Jinx Comics, okay? Social media support for that last quarter bin episode came from Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Sir, Luke Giaconetti, Jeremiah the Notorious, J.J.G. Chris Lydon 7, Gregory Litchfield, Ted from Justice Trek, Bill at Spy Vinyl, Sir, Manuel Carmona, Chris the Charlton Hero, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, The Telltale Mind, Dave's Comic Heroes Blogs, The Bat Pod, Karen from Between the Pages, James from Karen, and Ed from Teal Productions. And I actually wanted to mention one other piece of private feedback I received recently. Keeping it anonymous, a listener said that they appreciated that we do feedback here at the start of the show, when so many shows do it at the end of theirs. And I don't know if we've ever spelled out why that is, but it has been this way since the very beginning of the network. And when me and M were hammering out the generic format of what a, quote, relatively geeky, unquote, podcast would be, what our branding would be in terms of content, and I'll be honest, this was probably M. All our good ideas are probably M. But what we decided was that the community, the listeners, this ongoing conversation, this back and forth, that was something we wanted to prioritize. So feedback is here at the front of the episode because it might be the most important part of the episode. It's certainly not an afterthought to us. It's a priority. Y'all are not afterthoughts. You are priorities. Now, for this episode, I'm going to do the synopsis here, and then after the promo break, we'll have our analysis and commentary. Nightwing, 128 had a cover price of $2.99, which was where DC was holding the line. That means I got this comic at an impressive 91.5% discount. The cover by Christian Alame is a conflagration of orange and black. The figure of Nightwing takes up most of the cover. Looks to be bleeding, maybe, and his fist is cocked. All around them are orange and yellow flames, and all of this is against a dark background. It is certainly dramatic and eye-catching. And mine has a bright yellow sticker over the last N in Nightwing, with the half-price book's clearance, price of 25 cents. And I'm not saying this one has been in the database for a while, but above that price is the date that the yellow sticker was created, 9-28-14. The story, Targets, Part 4, Conclusion, was written by Marv Wolfman, with layouts by Dan Jurgens and finishes by Norm Ratmond and Rodney Ramos. Thanks to Comic Book Revolution for providing 
the synopsis that I used as the basis, the, the, the skeleton for what follows. We start at night. Nightwing is swinging across the city, thinking of how he could have died twice recently. Also, he's thinking about a girl, because he's Dick Grayson. And yes, Stella, he is thinking about Barbara Gordon. After her, no, because of her, I came back to New York to figure out this third chance to get it right. And then inside a scary secret science lab type place, where a trio of former LexCorp middle managers continue their work on the Raptor armor. The reason this is a secret is because Luther pulled the plug on the program after a radiation leak killed the wearer of the version 1.0 armor. They stole the armor after that and are frantically working to test it as they have a prospective buyer who will pay half a billion good old-fashioned American dollars for the new and improved version of the Raptor armor. The action, such as it is, moves back to Nightwing, who is pondering the direction of his life. When you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you. That kind of stuff. He doesn't want to become cold and detached like that Batfella. He comments that his parents didn't talk much about God. Bruce didn't either, though I'm pretty sure he believed in the devil. His search for peace leads him to a peaceful hillside chapel, but his sojourn is interrupted by a phone call. It's a call from J.J. with a brief message. Raptor, he's back. The quest for inner peace will have to wait because they're bad guys who'd need to be punched. Heading that way, he thinks again about a girl, because he's Dick Grayson. But, and please don't tell Stella this, although Tom Panarese would probably approve, this time he's thinking about Starfire, specifically about that time she asked him why he looked forward to putting his costume on and fighting villains each and every day. It's a question he realizes now that he never answered. I should find Corey. I should find her and tell her that I don't do this because it's the right thing to do. I do this because it's all I dare let myself do. You don't have to think when you're fighting. And fighting is easier than having to think. Raptor 2.0 is making hay against the NYPD, bullets bouncing off him and all that. The secret science folk are witnessing this all remotely and are excited, although surprised, when Nightwing shows up. He's alive? One of them asks. Because, you know, that guy had previously hired an assassin to kill Nightwing. We paid him six million and he failed, the guy whines. This surprises one of the other secret science folk. She didn't know about that little transaction and says she doesn't know that guy anymore. What have you gotten us involved with? On the streets, Nightwing and the new Raptor brawl. On one two-page spread, we get a shtoom and a wham and a choom 
followed by a foom. That last one was Raptor firing off his napalm cannon. And as he is recharging the cannon, one of the science folk, the guy that paid the six million for the assassin, that lovely fellow, he's figured out the radiation issue with the armor. Every time he fires his weapons, he breaches the armor. And then giving a textbook example of irony, he concludes, every time he kills, he's killing himself. The scientists are horrified. But for the worst possible reason, you see, they're supposed to deliver a working prototype to their client in an hour. And this whole radiation killing the guy inside the suit thing, that's really going to put that half a billion dollar deal at risk. You know, priorities. Nightwing realizes that he can't punch through the raptor armor, but figures that maybe raptor can himself. So he grabs the napalm cannon and fires it right into the raptor suit stomach. This is the only panel in the book that resembles the cover, the orange fire against the night sky and all that. Fortunately, for Nightwing's conscience, it turns out that that blast didn't technically kill the dude in the suit. The coroner's report said he had absorbed massive quantities of radiation. Even as he was attacking me, he was already dead. He just didn't know it. Still pretty sure that hastening someone's death against their will is still killing them. You can argue it's a righteous kill, a legally sanctioned kill, but sorry, Dick, you killed the guy. That one is on your body count as much as it is those evil science folk. Now, speaking of them, the mysterious client appears on a view screen at the Secret Science Hub earlier than expected. They beg for 10 more minutes, but in that time, they really melt down and start yelling at each other, relying on their middle management experience. They try to weasel their way out of the deal, request more time, offer a pay cut, you know, a goodwill gesture, all that stuff. They'll be grateful. This'll be fine. It'll all work out. Now, I'm not sure if that last sentiment is technically irony again, but at the very least, it's pretty much famous last words. Because the mysterious client who appears on the screen as a silhouette, which would actually be a valuable option for Zoom, he knows all about the radiation poisoning. As a matter of fact, he knows tons about the problems with the raptor armor. Like, suspiciously too much about the raptor armor. Because, as the bald visage points out, I designed and built the armor, you stupid little man. Surprise! It's Luther. And guess what? He's really, really mad. I scrapped the project, and I meant it to be destroyed. Because he's Lex Luthor, 
and is aware of everything that happens in all of his companies, which seems a little micromanaging to me, but hey, whatever works. In this speech, he uses the epic phrase, third-rate sycophant managers. Nice. See, he's not a fan of others trying to make money off of his work, especially off his discarded work. And with a final declaration of nobody steals from Lex Luthor, the building that houses the offices of the super-secret science folk, Baum! It explodes. Note to self, don't mess with Luther. We cut to the graveside of Jace Lawrence, the prior occupant of the raptor suit. His wife is glad that her husband was cleared of any murders and thanks Nightwing for helping with that. Their teenage son, Philip, yells that it doesn't matter and he storms off. Nightwing tells the mom to let the kid blow off steam and that he, Nightwing, will keep an eye on Philip when he can. Now this also may be an example of irony. If not, it is certainly a case of making promises that can't be kept, which I don't blame Nightwing for in particular, because heroes do this all the freaking time And it seriously annoys me. This may be the single mistake that heroes, quote-unquote, make most often. Because they do it all the time. Promising things that they cannot or do not deliver on. With that in mind, we zip ahead to later that very same night. Walking down a city street all by his lonesome, the kid... Philip is approached by a hot lady person in an interesting wedding dress. One site referred to it as fetish style. She asks Philip what time it is, like exactly to the second what time it is. She thanks him and the kid walks off. Okay, so the worst thing possible didn't happen to the kid, but I still stand by my comment about Nightwing not being able to live up to the promise he just made to the mom to keep an eye on him. Philip and Nightwing were just really, really lucky right now because the bride walks back into her building where she is a woman bound and gagged. She says that it's almost time and that it has to be exactly to the hour or it doesn't count. She wonders how Groom is doing with his kill. And then on the last page, we get an introspective Nightwing standing on a rooftop, staring into the night. You figure out pretty fast that no matter how hard it is, how impossible it gets, you don't, you can't, you shouldn't, ever give up the end Edward and Alphonse Elric as a result of attempting the forbidden act of resurrecting their mother with alchemy have paid the price Edward lost an arm and a leg Alphonse lost his whole body his soul now attached to a suit of armor 
Together they search for a way to make their bodies complete again and uncover a deadly plot by their country's military rulers. That's the concept of Hiromu Arakawa's Fullmetal Alchemist, one of the best manga ever made. Tim and Patrick are rereading Arakawa's masterwork in search of interesting sound effects, translation errors, goofy humor, and oh yeah, a great story. The podcast is The Law of Equivalent Exchange, a chapter-by-chapter look at the manga Fullmetal Alchemist. New episodes every other Monday, wherever podcasts are found. What are you willing to exchange? And we're back. So, what did I think of this issue of Emo Wing? Sorry, Nightwing. It's it's Nightwing. Uh, no, I kid. I like the emotional stuff, the introspection. And I get what Dick was getting at. That physical action is one way out of the endless cycle of introspection, of getting wrapped up in one's self. Not kidding. That really resonated with me. I'll explain how it's different, but like Nightwing, I can get a little up in my head. I think that as humans, we're made up of... If I say three parts, that sounds too physical, but three elements, three aspects. There are various ways that I've seen this categorized. Heart, body, and mind. Heart, brain, and gut. In theological discussions, I like to go with body, soul, and spirit. But whatever words you use, it's the physical, the intellectual, and the emotional. And I think we're best when those are in balance, or at least, you know, to the best extent possible. And in this issue, Dick is leaning hard into the emotional aspects of his life. He's thinking about Babs and Corey, his recent bouts with death. Did I mention that in that opening scene, he somehow manages to swing himself from the tall buildings in the city to a small graveyard area with trees? in a small chapel. I know you can have a wooded cemetery in a big city. I get it. That just disconcerted me for a minute. And I didn't mention this earlier, but in that scene, he looks at Jace's grave, the original guy in the suit. So that element was seeded early in the issue, although the font and the color made it really hard for me to make out the first time I was reading the issue. At least, it was tough on my eyes of advanced years. Let's go with that. So back to Mr. Grayson. For him, it's the emotional. And for me, it tends to be the intellectual. Different sides of the same coin. But when I get up in my own head, when I get myself out of that balance, it's more on the thinking side of things, the academic, the intellectual. Because as I like to say, if thinking is good, you know what's better? Overthinking! Except that it's not. But I think we can all recognize that there are times, maybe less often for many of you, maybe more often for others, when one of these areas gets us out of balance, the the practical, the emotional, the intellectual. And sometimes we get ourselves hung up, I think, by getting overly wrapped up in one of those areas, maybe to avoid living into the other two, 
Maybe that's an intentional choice. Maybe it's a defense mechanism. Only your counselor knows for sure. But again, back to me. It's the life of the mind that gets me. But for some, it's letting every emotion take over. And for some, it's the life of the body. And I don't mean physical exercise or exertion, or, or I don't mean that exclusively, but it could be part of it. Ultramarathoners, Tough Mudders, CrossFit fanatics. But I'm also talking about being an embodied human and producing something in the physical realm, something practical. So when I talk about physical elements, gardening qualifies, painting the house, working on the car in the garage, model painting, knitting, sewing, creating art, cooking, baking, decorating, all of those and and, and many other activities where you end up with something physical accomplished. Yes, for Nightwing, it's punching bad guys, but I'm saying that it's not limited to just punching bad guys. And I actually give Nightwing a lot of credit here because he does in fact recognize this element of himself, this aspect about himself, this aspect that I often forget when applied to, you know, me. And that is that one way to get out of the vortex, the rabbit hole, is to operate intentionally in one of the other two realms. What Dick narrates is this. It's impossible to think of anything other than the immediate moment when you're trading punches with some meta-powered glandular reject. When your fist connects with flesh, you're not thinking of the past. When their fists dislodge bone, it's hard to remember some stupid thing you said to someone you love something that sent them running away. And when you're lying half dead on the ground, half blown to pieces, it's impossible to think, period. I know, I am spending way more time on this little element of the story than any self-respecting comic book podcaster should, and I'm not done yet. But to me, as I read that, and then as I thought about this issue later, That struck me as quite profound. And it's possible that Dick does not consciously know what he's saying. But what he's saying is that he uses the physical to balance out, to overcompensate, it's fair to say, the emotional aspects that are always impacting him, always nipping at his heels. I said, for me, it's overthinking everything. Podcasting, family, work comics, TV shows, my upcoming schedule, theology, current events, money, vacations, music, podcasting, and podcasting, and even podcasting. And the thing that really helps me most here is activating the other dimensions. Taking a walk helps. I actually like cutting the grass, because that is, unfortunately, about the only time I really get a good sweat going. One Minor, technical drawback with the climate in central Ohio is that the outdoor temperature is not conducive to those types of physical activities year-round. But I need that sort of thing, not just exercise, 
but something physical. Because there are days when I know that I've been productive, but I literally have nothing to show for it. I've answered emails, done a Zoom meeting, graded papers, checked to see if a new edition of the finance textbook is coming out before fall so I can start making the necessary adjustments. Maybe even worked on my podcast prep for a while. But on many of those days, at the end of the day, I look around the house. I'm mostly working from home at this point in my career. And I see no evidence that I've done anything. There's nothing tangible, nothing practical. That's what I mean by physical. Nothing tangible or practical. There's, there's nothing I can point at some days and say, there, that's what I did today. And I know what Sir Luke is thinking, and I agree with him, that a well-designed and executed Excel spreadsheet is a beautiful work of art worthy of beholding. But sometimes, Luke, sometimes I just need something tangible. That's all I'm saying. And there is some activity that helps me indoors, and it's not physical in the exercise sense, as I was saying, but it does activate another part of me. It's tangible and practical, which, as I said, most of my work, sort of being in and of the mind, is not. And that's the difference. That's how I get some of my balance back. And that's in cooking. Not baking, let me point out. Because baking is much more scientific, much more precise. And giving the accounting background that I have, the way my mind works, precision work, like baking, does not constitute a change of pace for me. But cooking, that's different. And it results in a very practical outcome. The joke is that my love language, it's not really a joke, I think that's the joke, that my love language is cooking food for people. Nothing fancy, stews and chili and cheeseburger pie and mac and cheese. Corn souffle is about the fanciest thing I make. M and Kara benefit from this the most, as well as my wife, I suppose. And that's why I like hosting Thanksgiving. I get to send people away with many leftovers of my food my practical, physical, tangible contribution. And I mention all of this because reading this comic, reading those first few pages, sent me in a direction that led to a realization. And that's that I haven't cooked anything for anyone outside of me and my wife for, I don't know, months, it seems. It can't have been since Christmas. But maybe it's been since Christmas. And the weather's been such that I've only taken a few walks this calendar year. Good walks. And it's not time to cut the grass yet or weed the garden. And I hadn't been able to pinpoint this, this lack within me, this being out of balance. This not getting out of my head for way too long. Until reading this stupid little comic book. Now, I don't know exactly how much therapists or counselors are charging these days, but I got this breakthrough for 25 cents, a mental health bargain, I'd say. I'm writing these notes on a Monday, and I'm working on a shopping list for the store tomorrow. 
and M is coming by Thursday to work so we can work on their taxes. The hope, the idea, the plan is that I can dig myself out of my rut and have some food for them to take home with them, along with their taxes. A little self-awareness goes a long way. Nightwing's expression of this knowledge, this insight that he had about himself, actually led me to have a little insight of my own. Thanks for listening, and please, please don't charge me for this therapy session. We don't have a Patreon. I can't afford any more than one shiny quarter for this. And I gave that to the nice counselor working at the cash register at Half Price Books that day many years ago. And all of that, finally I hear you all saying, all of that brings us to the rest of the comic, by which I mean the actual comic, not the runaway train that my brain took me on based on those first few pages. Now do you see what I mean about me sometimes getting all caught up in my own overthinking? So, as we say when we have Paul Spatero on the show, when you're reading one issue of a miniseries or, like this, a storyline, I think the concept applies. It's always best to have the first or last if you're just going to read one, rather than something from the middle. So honestly, most often I read first issues. Again, that's usually a miniseries type situation. But it was nice to have a change of pace and read this last issue, this wrap-up of this story. And as we also like to say around here, endings are hard. But this one worked pretty well especially if you overlook the part about the hero killing the bad guy. He was already dead. He just didn't know it. Yeah, that's more of an expression, Dick, not a statement of legal fact. But it was nice to have a story like this end, uh, to wrap up, and to do so in a way that did not make me feel lost about what had happened in the prior issues. Now, This didn't tell me exactly what happened in the prior issues, but Wolfman let me know enough of what happened to have context for reading this issue. And of course, since this is an ongoing series, we do need a few pages that lead into the next storyline with the bride and groom. And there are two things about that that I liked as they were portrayed in this issue. First, I liked that Wolfman tied those two stories in. And no, it didn't go as bad for the kid as I feared it would, but it was nice that he intersected with the bride, even if he got away safe and sound. Second, that scene with the bride, that page and a half, you would expect it to be the last page and a half of the issue to really hit hard on the ongoing soap opera, the to-be-continued nature of a title That is already 128 issues in. But what Wolfman does here is he puts that scene near the end, obviously, but it ends on the penultimate page. The actual last page takes us back to Nightwing, back to the introspection, wrapping up the emotional arc of the storyline. And to me, it makes sense to do that for a couple of reasons. First, you end with your main character. The issue ends with your title character on screen. But also, I think it 
adds a sense of circularity, uh, a sense of completion just to the issue. Uh, We basically end how we started, Nightwing alone on a rooftop at night. And that sense of unity, I think, really works for a single issue. And making a single issue, number 128, work on its own, when it's not just part of a four-part story arc, but it's also part of, I think, what ended up being a 183-issue run, it's not the easiest thing to do. But this is why Marv Wolfman is a pro. It's just what he does. And he does it really well here. We should mention the issue's bad guy and the big, big bad guy behind that. The battle with Raptor was fine. It was good, not groundbreaking or anything. And the way that Nightwing wins, you know, despite the part where he killed the guy, that was good and action-packed. But what I really liked here was the Luther stuff. First off, DC doesn't cross its villains over enough. Maybe they've been doing this more since 2000, I can't totally say. But I like it. And it works here. And when you think about it, this is not actually a Luther versus Nightwing battle. Nightwing, he doesn't know that Luther is involved at all. They certainly don't meet, they don't interact. Uh, writing these notes, I just grab the issue and flip through it, and nope, Nightwing never mentions or thought bubbles Luther's name. The big man does not cross Dick's mind at all during this. And I think that's cool. Because Luther is not about fighting Nightwing in this. He is about fighting this trio of thieving LexCorp technology managers. Sometimes you get a villain who thinks along the lines of, well, I didn't authorize you to do this, but I appreciate your moxie. You get a promotion. You know, we've seen that. But that ain't Luther. These guys stole from LexCorp, And of course, they weren't smart enough to fix that radiation problem. Because Lex couldn't fix it with his resources. They had no chance. I like that a lot, the way that he was portrayed here. That was, to me, a surprise out of the blue and a welcome surprise out of the blue to this issue of Nightwing. Again, an issue, a story, well put together all the way around. So to make it official, the verdict on Nightwing 128, a nice conclusion to a story that I did not have to read the rest of to understand and enjoy. A balance of introspection and action, a really cool take on Luther, and a brief nod to the next storyline. That's sort of what a lot of comic books from this era wanted to do, and this one did it pretty darned well. And an emotional breakthrough for your podcast host? Come on, Nightwing 128. A quarter bin steel. That wraps up our coverage of Nightwing 128, bringing episode 191 of the Quarter Bin Podcast to a close. Next time, which might be the next thing in the network feed if the schedule works out like I think it will, we are jumping back in time 
back to the avocado and burnt orange era that was the mid-70s by looking at Shazam! 26. From DC Comics, cover dated November-December 1976. If you have any questions or comments about this issue, the episode, Nightwing, podcast hosts having emotional breakthroughs, or the podcast in general, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.